Good morning, Eastside family. At this time, we want to let our children ages three through third grade make their way in that direction to junior worship. The rest of you be taking your Bibles. We're going to return today to James chapter two. And as we're making our way there in the Bible, I want to certainly remind you of a very important aspect of our worship assembly. That is the offering that we bring to God in, in worship. We've made it possible for you to um, mail a check to the church address. A lot of you do that. We so appreciate everyone's faithfulness. You can give an automatic draft through your bank. You can go online to our website and click on the uh, little box that says give and follow the easy instructions. Or you can um, drop off your contribution there at the box where Daryl and Braden are standing at this moment. So those of you that are not with us in person, but you're still people in person where you are live streaming with us. Absolutely delighted to have you with us. And there are um, a lot of people I might recognize. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. But I just can't help but say, wow, Charlie and Lynn are here today. So, so delighted to have our family in from way out in the boondocks. James chapter 2. We started a lesson a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, oh man, I can't finish it. We're just going to pick it up today. And it was this, this actually, not this month, it's already February. I'm hard, having a hard time. This is going so quickly. This past month, I should say, our nation celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And, and while this is a, it's a great day to remember the incredible work of this and the significant accomplishments of this civil rights leader regarding racism and prejudice and discrimination it's really important that we do more than just have a day to remember and then just go back to life as usual as I shared with you a couple of weeks ago it's it's good to have an annual checkup like we do physically I just had to do that to ask, how are we doing in these areas? How is our nation? How are we as a church? And how are you doing? How am I doing? And what are changes that you need to make, we need to make, that I need to make just to do better in these areas? And so we started this conversation in a previous lesson, but we didn't finish it. And so we're going to continue it today. And our, our biblical foundation where, where we're going to in Scripture is here in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And we finished, so I thought, the first, pass, the first part of this passage where we were looking at verses 1 through 4. Today our plan was to move into verses 5 through 13 where we see, and I really want to look at, James identifies the solution. But something happened. At the end of my lesson a couple of weeks ago, I said, okay, everybody, read James verses, chapter 2, verses 5 through 13 in your life groups or in your own individually, and send me in all your information. That'll really help me in the sermon preparation for part two of this sermon, identifying the solution. And you guys blew me away with uh, so much information, and not only so much information, but it was really a blessing to see the incredible insights you gave. And so I'm, I was trying to figure out, how do, I, how do I not bring all of what you gave me in? And so today, if you don't like this sermon, it's yours. <laughs> all right? You only have yourselves to look at. 
because pay attention. I'm not going to say, and you, and you, and you. I'm only going to call out one person's name that gave a contribution. This is basically me plagiarizing from all of the emails and text messages and conversations that I had. Now, here's a, here's a mistake that you made that I'm really glad you made. I asked for only information from verses 5 through 13 that talks about uh, identifying the solution, but a whole lot of you gave me information on verses 1 through 4, telling me, Eddie, you didn't say everything that needed to be said in verses 1 through 4. And so we're going to focus on that again today, and then so we're going to finish this conversation next week as we look in verses 5 through 13 at identifying the solutions. So let's read together this passage once again. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. And you go, well, all right, what are you talking about? Oh, I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Verse 2. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, uh, you stand there or sit on the floor. Imagine this. You just sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And so in the previous lesson, we, we observed how James first reminds these churches to whom he's writing. These are churches that were seeing people's glory, seeing people's worth, seeing people's importance and their glory based upon what they saw with outward appearance. James says, what you ought to do first is just to see the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ because when you see his glory, all of a sudden it puts you and everyone else in proper perspective. And one of our Christian sisters from the, from the Czech Republic who joins, who is actually there with us right now live and they were with us two weeks ago, they took me seriously. They sent in this email comment of two quotes they had received. And they said, you can't look down on someone when you're bowing at the foot of Jesus. You can't judge from on high when you are bowed down low. Thank you, Tomas and Martina from Prague. One of our life groups uh, sent in these similar words in an email. They said, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. All sinners saved by grace. I said it two weeks ago, but if, if we could get it, I'll repeat it again. If, if we could come to know Jesus as Lord, bowing at his feet, and behold his glory, and to see his glory, then we would see ourselves and others appropriately. None better than the other. How could we see anything else but that? 
But then secondly, we saw last time how James calls the recipients of his letter to acknowledge the problem. And this is where I got a ton of stuff from you guys that I'm, I'm going to share with you this morning. You got a lot to say here. So James is speaking, and we talked about this before, of favoritism. And maybe in verse 1, and maybe in your, um, in your translation that uses the word partiality, showing partiality. And though certainly there are nuanced differences in the meanings of these words, I, I believe, personally, you could insert here discrimination. Actually, James does that in verse 4. Prejudice, racism, even snobbery. And it's basically talking about making judgments about others. And I'm stealing this from someone, too. See if you can recognize it. Making judgments about others, not by the content of their character, but by the color of their skin or whatever outward appearance you happen to be observing. This person is more important intrinsically than, than this person. This person is just really less important. And of course, I'm... <laughs> I'm not really ever going to say that. That would be horrible to say. But what I really ask myself, do I subconsciously have any feelings that go there? And do my interactions show that? I think that's where James, by the Spirit, is taking us. A number of you in your email shared with me that that while James here is speaking here of socioeconomic differences of, of the rich and poor, it could, it could, you could use all kinds of, of, of differences of people and categorize them. It could be talking about men and women. I had some talk to me about the, the challenges and the struggles that are part of that. It could be uh, skin color. It could be race. It could be education. It could be nationality. It could be political affiliation. It could be religious affiliation. All these different things. As a matter of fact, one of you shared a story of how you have seen and experienced in your 50 years, so this person, you kind of guess, and they must be a little bit older, in their 50 years of working in the workforce in, in, in very large companies, how they'd seen discrimination constantly. And now that this person is retired, they told me how they feel at times disregarded, disrespected, ignored, and made fun of because he's, he's elderly. That can happen in that direction. But then, you know, it can happen in the opposite direction. It's not just how we look upon a person by their age, but it, it can also be the opposite of, of older people looking down on younger people, as Paul advises Timothy not to do. I was, I was at the dentist's office uh, about a month ago, and I was going to have to get some dental work, which nobody looks forward to. And so they're going to have to numb up my mouth. So before the dentist came in, the dental assistant came in. I think she was about in the sixth grade. <laughs> and I'm serious, like, she's getting ready to stick needles in my mouth, and she's not even out of middle school. No offense against middle schoolers, but you're never going to get a pair of pliers and a drill in my mouth. And she's got long black hair, no offense against tattoos, but she has some sketchy tattoos and a rings here and a ring here. And I thought, at the end of this, I'm going to have a rose tattooed on my lip and a little tongue uh, tattoo with a little lip ring or something like that. Well, then she numbed me up and in walked the dentist. And thankfully, he was much older. He looked to be about in the eighth grade. 
I swear, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this guy is getting ready to work on me. He's not out of school yet. And I'm sitting there and, and thinking, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Eddie, you're violating that right now. And so I bore it out and I said, if he does a good job, I'm going to let him know. And he doesn't need to know. I just needed to say to him, thank you, doctor. I called him doctor. You did a really great job for a little boy. I didn't say the little boy part, all right? But I needed to say that first part because I realized it just, it just pops up in crazy places where you don't expect it. And I may be the only one, Karen said, I don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't happen to me, but you ever got on an airplane? And you look at the pilot, and you look at their gender, you look at their weight, you look at their age, you look at their race, and maybe you have feelings of comfort and discomfort simply because of what you see. It's, it's crazy. Of course, none of you, right? It, can, it could come up in crazy places. And here's what's crazy. As James is telling us, and a bunch of you told me in emails, it happens here in church. There can be... Uh, you wrote, I, I just actually I won't look away from my notes. I, you quote, I quote you. Some of you wrote how there can be subcultures, tight-knit subcultures in our church even. Maybe it's people that share things together. Maybe it's a bunch of people that all their kids go to PPCS, so they just kind of come together. Or maybe it's parents with children, and they all just kind of naturally come together. Or maybe it's people that have been friends for a long time. And it's kind of uncomfortable to mention this, but I've had people that are single or I've had adults who don't have kids like all these other couples do and they at times struggle to find their place and be drawn in. There are widows and widowers at times that can feel this. So this is not just about race. This is not just about uh, socioeconomic differences. And, and, you know, it's okay to have close friends, isn't it? Jesus had a close circle of three. Then he had a close circle of 12. He had a close circle of 70. And then he did the, the masses. And so, so there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not speaking against this, but we have to caution ourselves to not allow our circles to transition into cliques that include some and exclude others. One person shared with me how they have tried for four to five years, and they've been here a good number of years, how they've tried for four or five years to kind of be a part of a particular friendship circle here. And it just hadn't worked. They just always seem to feel like they're not included, not accepted, and they're on the outside. And so this person said, Eddie, I just, I just gave up trying. And, and I've, I've heard that. More than once. And you might say, well, they just need to do their part. And, and that's true. And I've, I've said this to you before. You know, there are some people that they just stand here like this, staring at a wall, and they're wondering why nobody ever talks to me. Well, sure, you've got you to gotta do your part. But this person had been. But there was something that was just not pulling them in. And some of you know what I mean. And some of you don't. I, the, the, that close circle of friends, I, I, I would be shocked if they were aware that they're good people. I would be shocked if they were aware 
that this is happening. And they would be surprised if, if I told them. And so I started thinking, I started thinking like, do I do that to people? And don't even realize it. I, I don't want to. But do I? A couple of groups mentioned in their emails that we can have unconscious biases that we're not even aware of, although others kind of feel it. But we don't even know it. So I, I was wondering as I was reading through this story in James chapter 1, chapter 2, if the people to whom James had written, did they even know what they were doing? Did they get up in the morning and say, let's be nice to rich people and let's make poor people like this? I'm kind of thinking they were clueless or James wouldn't have had to have said, hey, this is happening in church. I so appreciated the humility of one of you expressed in an email. And you wrote these words, I wish I knew if I'm doing this. Do you hear that? Like, I don't know, but could it be? At least there's honesty to ask. Then as that person was writing the email, evidently they, they came upon a realization that they do because they came upon a situation, oh yeah, I am doing it, and it's just like this with this particular person. Someone else sent me an email and saying that, that sermon that was two weeks ago on this topic, it really challenged me. I'm thinking, this challenged you? You've got a problem with this? This verse in James really convicted me. And this is a person you'd look at them and you wouldn't go, oh yeah, you're eating up with it, man. You wouldn't think that. But this person has the honesty to, to let the Holy Spirit penetrate and self-evaluate their heart and realize, okay, there's some of this in me. There's some of this that is in me. One of you wrote, all of us have a ways to go. All of us? Me? Two groups wrote these words. They, they wrote that if there's one thing we learn from James, we need to be doing this right now. We need to be talking about it. And when we see it, we need to call it out. We need to confront it. But I love the way they wrote, with compassion and, and with gentleness. But that's what James is doing here. He's stepping into awkwardness and a, a risking offending and, and hurting feelings. But we need to talk about this. But that's easier said than done, especially if I'm the one talking about it and you're just sitting there listening. It's hard to have those interpersonal relationships or conversations about it because there's a fear. One of you wrote these words about this fear. There's a fear of rocking the boat. See, James was rocking the boat. And there, there's, a, there's a fear of that. Someone wrote, there's a fear of being misunderstood and pigeonholed as someone that I'm not just by making a comment or asking a question. One of you wrote, I feel like I'm, I walk on eggshells around some people and I'm fearful of, of accidentally offending them. I wish I could be more comfortable around people. So let's just be quiet. Smile and let's just... Not talk about it. Man, James busted in here in, in, in chapter 2. A number of you wrote, this, this is really great. Well, one of our groups wisely stated these words. They said, let's create and be a place, let's be a community 
where it's safe to talk about these things and where everyone's experiences and thoughts are important. And a number of you wrote, let's do less talking and more listening. And a couple wrote, and more listening, especially when it comes to people that we disagree with or are different. And I just love this handout that our shepherds gave to us at the beginning of the new year, Vision 2023. And in the, in the, in the Connect, Grow, Serve, it calls us to find five people. But we were asked, and it asked us here, get outside of your five. Because that's easy. Find somebody that's different. Find somebody even that's younger. And don't tell them all about you. Listen and get to know them. And, and here's the thing. You, I don't know if you guys realized it. You were in the context of James when you, when you wrote those words. Because right before, same context, same people, same conversation. Right before James starts hitting this topic of, that we're dealing with today. He says, let everyone be, what, slow, quick to listen. You got you get two ears, one mouth. Quick to listen, slow to speak. And slow to become angry. Oh, if we could listen and get to know one another. Too many take a peek, take a listen, and make a quick assumption and reach a false conclusion. Post an erroneous thing on Facebook. We see it happening on the media. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 18, 13 says, He who answers before listening, that is his folly and shame. And so, as James writes here in chapter 2 of the treatment of a young man and a poor man, they came into the assembly. You really wonder how the story might have turned out differently if they had done more than just look and make a decision. But if they had taken time to listen and get to know them because so often, or is it, should I say, always, or it sure seems like always, there's more to a person and there's more to their story than meets the eye. One of you wrote these words, God sees, and I'm thinking you were thinking about the story of David being selected as king above all the others who seem just to be so much better of a choice. God sees beyond the surface and sees the heart. If we could just do that, be like God. I know, that's like huge. If we could only see others as God sees others. And so really, the second half that we're going to look at next week, God says there's three ways I want you to see the way I see. That's what we're going to see, like, we're going to look at um, next week. So here's, here's the biggest problem. No, I don't know, biggest. Here's a problem. Here's a challenge. Here's the tension that makes it difficult for us to do number two, to acknowledge the problem. And I'll just quote one of our life groups who did a great job of, of identifying the problem and then followed up beautifully. They wrote these words, it feels like our current political climate is pushing the race card and labeling everything in terms of race and it's and it's becoming wearisome and overblown and you get tired of always being labeled a racist. And so they've got that, but then listen to how they ended it. Because they're thinking, that may be skewing the way we see things. They said, but perhaps we're unable to see ourselves and the James 2 problem in ourselves. I so appreciate that honesty. I feel like these abuses are going on, but maybe they're blinding me into, into denial. The the 
abuses, and I'll try to explain that the abuses and extremes of those who see racism and prejudice and showing partiality and discrimination, discrimination everywhere and in everything, it can, can just turn you off and make you so defensive that you just go to the opposite extreme. It's not in me. It's not anywhere. You guys need to get over it. That can happen. That can, that can be a, um, a barrier. I shared in my previous, in the lesson two weeks ago, uh, two illustrations. One was of a, a black friend of mine who was a professor at LSU, and the people that she was talking to thought she must have been a, a teacher's assistant, and she assumed, or she reached the conclusion it was because she was black and because she was female. And then I also shared with you a story of the guy that was like in, in December was a hero for a comedy show, a real famous guy on TV, um, and was doing a comedy show here, and he was in the hotel that they had put him up in. He was down in the lobby, and there were so many people there, and he was the only one that was asked, do you have proof that you're staying in this hotel? And he asked them, well, why, why are you just asking me? So I gave those two stories. Why aren't you asking all the other people? And so here's the, here's the feeling that comes out of those two stories. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Maybe there's more to their two stories. Maybe they're too sensitive. Maybe they're just embracing the victim mentality. Maybe they unfairly jump to conclusions by playing the race card. There they go. Okay, so in those two cases, I don't think that's the case with those two stories. I do believe that people do that. I do believe that that extreme exists. But that doesn't mean it's, it's not real. We can't go to that conclusion, can we? Let me ask you, are there victims of showing partiality, and racism, and discrimination, and prejudice? Is, does that exist? Do people make the mistake of judging someone by appearance only and thus reach a wrong conclusion about without getting to know them first and then getting to know their character and thus treat them accordingly? And does that hurt people? Does it not? Or is it just extremists abusing all this? Does James chapter 2 have any relevance for us at all? Does it speak into our church and into my life, into your life? Or here's where you could go with this. Or was James being just way too sensitive? Was James overreacting here in the first half of chapter 2? Was James jumping to mistaken accusatory conclusions? Was James playing the poverty card again? Oh, the poor man. The victim of mistreatment. Don't be such a snowflake and let your feelings get hurt just because you have to sit somewhere else at church. Just sit down and get over it. Actually, if he would get a job and if he would bathe and wash his clothes, maybe he wouldn't come in with dirty, filthy clothes. Or maybe... If he would be more responsible, 
and get up on time, there wouldn't be a problem getting a seat at church. I don't have the problem. Where's the problem? I do that too, too well, don't I? Sure, there are irresponsible people who create their own problems. Sure, there are some who mistakenly accuse and see discrimination, racism, and favoritism where it isn't. But that's not the case here. It's just not. Is it the case here? For James, he says to the people, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And then, we're, as we're going to see next week, and in doing so, he says in verse 6, You have dishonored the poor, meaning you've just hurt some people beyond your realization to realize how deeply you have hurt them. And that hurt is real. So Mahatma Gandhi, perhaps you've heard of him, he's the the influential leader of the civil rights movement in India. And, and in his autobiography, he, he tells the story of how in his earlier, younger days, he was deeply impressed by Christianity. And he loved the Gospels, and he loved the Sermon on the Mount. And as he was looking at this caste system, that is this division of classes and inferiority and superiority that was just, I mean, eaten up in India with racism and prejudice and discrimination. He was thinking, man, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, this is an answer to the caste system in my country. And there was a point earlier in his life where he considered, wow, should I give Christianity a look? That all changed when he went to church. He was living at this time in South Africa where he was practicing law. and He was so touched by all that he had been reading about Jesus and Jesus' behavior and the Sermon on the Mount. He decided to visit a local Christian church nearby. But when he tried to enter the sanctuary, it's kind of like a James 2. The ushers said, whoa. They stopped him. They refused to seat him. They called him a Kaffir which is the South African equivalent of the N-word. And they, said, they suggested that he go and worship with his own people. As, there was, as you know, in this time in South Africa, there was, there was even in those earlier years segregation. And from that experience, Gandhi wrote these words, If Christians have caste differences also, then I might as well remain a Hindu. So... I don't know what you're thinking right now, but when I heard that story, I thought, that can't be true. Because like, like, that's too perfect of a sermon illustration that I need today. That can't be true. And so I went on the internet. I went on Snopes. I went everywhere I could to make sure that that's true or not true. Because I don't want to be telling crazy stories that are untrue. I could not find anything other than historical information verifying the truth of that story. And you can go home today and do much better than I can with technology and search and search and search. Did that really happen? Could that really happen? But that's not really what, what the objective of James chapter 2 is to go search the internet. That's not what he's wanting us to do. The Holy Spirit is taking these words and penetrating our hearts so that we'll go home and search and search and search our hearts And discover what the Spirit is saying to me with these words. And what I really appreciate 
about the guidance of the Spirit with James here. He doesn't just say, you got that problem, see ya. No, he then moves in verses 5 through 13 and says, okay, here's, here's what we do about it. Uh, as I promised two weeks ago, we're going to try it again this Sunday. Uh, let's go to 5 through 13, verses 5 through 13. Let's identify the solution. And if you haven't read that, I want to ask you to read that and reflect over it this week. And if you haven't sent me information on that, I need some help preparing that sermon. For, for now, let's hear once again these words of God's Spirit given to us in verse 1 of James chapter 2. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Let's stand and pray together. Father, it's obviously clear to you, but it's clear to all of us as well that we haven't got this completely figured out. And we're so glad that you're not in heaven going, well, figure it out. But you've given us your word. And you've given us guidance and wisdom. And Father, it's clear here in James chapter 2 that this is not a small thing to you. This is huge. You line it up there right next to murder. So we ask, oh, Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our hearts. First of all, just to see the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and thus see ourselves and others accordingly. We pray that our church family, oh, that we can be a safe place to have such conversations, that we can learn to listen and get to know others better, especially those who are so different than we are. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, even in this moment and as we go home to hear your voice to us in this passage, to discover where each of us are in these areas and to know what in us needs to change to do better so that through us the light of the gospel will shine brighter in our land and break down the walls and the barriers that so divide people. Father, we ask that in this world of unrest and division and fighting that we as your church, could be instruments of your peace. So we offer this prayer to you in Jesus' name. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.